Hey, great to see all your wonderful faces today. For those I'm yet to meet, my name's Andrew. I'm also one of the pastors here, along with James. Um, and we are really glad that you're with us in church today. We're continuing our Multiply and Magnify series. And just the, the, these two concepts hand in hand, that as we magnify God, as we actually get a sense of his glory and his power and his size. You know, when you, when you magnify something, you actually get a greater perspective on what something actually is. You take a telescope and you look at the heavenly kind of, you know, the stars in the sky. And as you magnify it, you start to get a greater sense of what they are. And that's what we believe uh, we need to continue to do as a church is to magnify God. But in the midst of that, we're also reminded of the mission that we have, which is to multiply. And today I want to talk about what it is to multiply the ministry of Jesus. And there's a whole bunch of tacks that I could take on this one. I mean, we could talk about Jesus' words in John 14 where he says, you know, I need to go back to be with the Father, but then I'm going to give you a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to actually do greater things than what I've even done. And that's kind of a bit of a mind-bending verse when you think about it because Jesus says, when you think about all that Jesus did, the miracles and the ministry, when he says, you're going to do greater things, I think what Jesus is saying is, actually, if I entrust my ministry to a whole bunch of people that aren't going to be bound into this one space, but are actually going to spread into all corners of this world with the, with the power of the Holy Spirit and the message of Jesus, you're going to see more things in more places than what Jesus himself, just you know, the bodily form God himself in Jesus could do in the space that he was in. And so we could talk about that, that... You're part of how God wants to equip you is to fill you with his spirit so that you can be part of his rescue mission. And it's crazy to think. I mean, this is, I question God's strategy, right? That he decided to use people like you and me to be his hands and feet on this world. Because I don't know all of you deeply and intimately, but I know myself and I know my failings and I know my prejudices and I know the things that I'm not so good at and the attitudes that I carry that aren't so godly. And you know yourself really well. And if you're really honest, it's a crazy strategy, isn't it? That God has put the message of the kingdom into our hands, but that's the way that he's chosen to do it. That's why the Apostle Paul calls us the body of Christ. We all come together and we all form different functions and different parts, but together the church is the hands and feet of Jesus on planet earth. Crazy strategy, but what a thing to be entrusted to us. I want to take us to a story that Jesus told this morning in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, if you like to follow along on your phone or in your, if you bring a paper Bible still and you want to open up and follow along with me. Tell what is, for many, a really well-known story of Jesus. It's known as the parable of the talents, or in my Bible now, it's titled the parable of the bags of gold. And uh, many of you have heard this story, and in some ways, on the surface, the meaning is quite simple. Let me read it to you. It says, again, and we're going to come back to this, but any time in the Scriptures, here's a little hint for how to read the Scripture. Any time you start reading a passage that begins with again or therefore, it's an invitation to go into the context because it's building on an already told story. So again, and I'll talk about the context a bit later, but Jesus says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold or five talents in the text. 
to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained you five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold came and said, Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained you two more. And his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has been given more, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Man, that's a statement, isn't it? Numerous times in the Bible, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth is, you know, when you grind your teeth at deep regret, like you, you left the run too late and you get to the train platform and you see it pull away and you're kind of like, oh. The idea of gnashing of teeth is this feeling of deep regret. So Jesus tells this story on the surface, really simple. Three servants, one master, each given a different apportion of bags of gold in the text that you have or the text that you might be familiar with. It talks about talents. But a talent in Jesus' story was simply an economic measure. A talent was actually worth a lot. It was a one talent was the equivalent economically of about 15 years of someone's wage. So a significant investment. Each of them gets a significant gift. And when the master returns, two of them come and say, I took your gift and I invested it and I worked with it and here's a good return. And the third one dug a hole and put it into the ground. You know, at a really simple le uh, level, the meaning of this parable seems pretty clear. Whatever gift you've been given, what are you doing with it? Whatever gift you have, how are you using it? And that is a really simple and high level understanding of this particular parable. But for some people, they've questioned whether that's too simplistic an understanding. I actually read a commentary this week that would suggest that we've all had it wrong. That actually the hero in this story in Jesus' eyes is the lazy servant. Because he's the only one that rejected the capitalistic overtones of the empire and dug a hole and put the talent in it. I mean, you can find multiple interpretations of this and I, I have to admit their argument and their understanding 
wasn't, uh, wasn't, it wasn't bad. Like, I mean, there, there was some thought put into that argument. But a lot of people have got stuck on some of the details of this parable because there's some really confronting things in it. And for some of us, we balked at some of the details about what this says about us and what it says about God. I mean, some of us have read it and thought, man, is God really like the master? Is he a hard master who is just looking for his opportunity to berate us for failing to do all that he equipped us to do? Some of us have read it and wondered whether we have to work harder to gain God's approval and earn his approval. Some of us have wondered whether our worth and our value is found in what we do. Some have even asked why in the parable some people are gifted more than others. They're all fair questions to wrestle with, but I don't think that this parable seeks to answer those for us. If you're unfamiliar with the concept of a parable, parable is just a story. It's, it's, not, it's not a true story. It's, it's in, in the sense of these events didn't actually happen, but it's a way that Jesus unlocked for us an understanding of God and the kingdom of God by telling stories that people would have understood that would have made sense in the culture in which he told them. And I reckon the challenge of the parable of the bags of gold is found in two questions. And both of these are found in the context of the story in which Jesus tells it. The two questions are this, and we're going to unpack them a little bit this morning. We're doing a little bit of Bible study in church today, but the first question is this. What are we doing with what God has entrusted to us? What are we doing with what God has entrusted to us? And the second question is how are we choosing to live our lives in anticipation of the kingdom to come? How are we choosing to live our lives in anticipation of the kingdom to come? Let me unpack both those questions for us a little bit this morning. Number one, what are we doing? What are you doing? What are we doing? You see, sometimes in our culture today, we read everything so individualistic, and we can read this from an individual viewpoint of what God has given you, the individual, and it's right and proper and appropriate to do that, but it's also got a corporate overtone. Like, I don't want this morning for it just to all be about what you need to do more because part of the challenge is who we are together, the body of Christ, the local church that carries a mission and a vocation to share the good news of Jesus and to multiply the ministry of Jesus in our community. I reckon it's a challenge to us corporately about what are we doing with that that we've been entrusted with? I said right at the beginning that when we started reading this story, it starts with again. And again, if you go back to the start of Matthew 25, Jesus says this, the kingdom of God at that time will be like. So, and then he tells a story about, uh, you know, some bridesmaids, I think, waiting faithfully. And then he goes, and the kingdom of God at that time will be like. So then we've got to ask the question of at what time is Jesus talking about? So we dig even further into the context of this story in Matthew's gospel. And I want to take us back to Matthew 23. It's a pretty hard and harsh chapter to read because Jesus gets some of his most angst out in Matthew 23. He starts to talk to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And some of the things he says, if I said to you, you would probably vote me out at the next kind of opportunity you got to get me off this platform. He says some pretty rough stuff to the religious leaders of his time. He's, he's quite pointed. It, it almost comes across as quite... Like, you'd be devastated if Jesus said this stuff to you in Matthew 23. 
This list of woes. Woe to you, Pharisees and teachers of the law. Woe to you, Pharisees and teachers of the law. You're really worried about what everybody else thinks, but inside you're just dying. I mean, that's a sermon you don't want to come and hear when you want a cheery Sunday, is it? But Jesus just goes after the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He calls them hypocrites. He has a crack at them for misinterpreting and misrepresenting God's law. He talks about their preoccupation with human praise. If you want a really uplifting daily devotional, go and read Matthew chapter 23. But in that moment, what Jesus is doing, he's talking to a group of people that had been entrusted with something of value and were actually doing something destructive with it. See, the people of Israel, the story of Israel throughout the whole Old Testament is that God in his grace through this guy, Abraham, chose to reveal himself to a broken world. And he chose this man, for, but the Bible tells us there's nothing special about Abraham. Just one day God goes, Abraham, you're my guy. And guess what, Abraham? I'm going to do something through you and through your family line. Your family line is going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And Abraham's hearing this as an old bloke with no kids. He doesn't even know how this promise is going to happen. And he says, Abraham, through you and your family, all nations on this earth will be blessed. And then the story of the Old Testament is how Abraham miraculously, in his old age, has a son, Isaac, and Isaac's family grows. And before you know it, the nation of Israel is formed. And God, through this group of people, seeks to share his message and bring his story of redemption to bear on this earth. But now we get to the time of Jesus, and Jesus looks at what those that were called to steward the message and the ministry of Jesus had done with it. You have to understand, as he addresses the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, he's talking to a group of people that had a knowledge of God. Jesus talks a lot in this chapter about they had the law. And we, we hear law and we think our oh, rules, regulations, things that kind of, we, we don't like the idea of law, but you have to understand when God gave the law, he actually gave people a framework for doing life and doing life in the best possible way. So when he revealed himself to Abraham and then through Moses, handed the people law, it wasn't overbearing, it wasn't restrictive, it didn't limit freedom, it actually gave than the scope to understand how to truly live and flourish and be free. And so Jesus says, you have the knowledge of God. You've got the law. You understand what it looks like when you do things God's way. More than that, you've got an understanding of the presence of God. And in the Old Testament, in Jesus' time, the temple was a physical representation of God's presence with his people. So you've got the law You've got the temple, in other words, you've got the knowledge of God, you've got the presence of God, and you've got the blessing and the promises of God that through you, all nations on earth will be blessed. And Jesus says, you were entrusted with something spectacular and something wonderful and something of great value. What have you done with it? And so he starts saying, well, woe to you. Woe to you, teachers of the law. You've got the law. You've got God's way of doing life. He says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. In other words, they were good at telling people the law of God. But then he says this, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. His whole concept in the Old Testament of the tithe, where you come 
and you'd give a tenth of all that you had. He says, you were so, you were so legalistic about that. You even went to your kind of herb garden and picked the parsley and the mint and the dill and the cumin and chopped it and made sure that 10% of that went to the church. He says, you give a tenth of your spices, but you've neglected it. My voice just broke. That was cool, wasn't it? <clears throat> But you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You've practiced the latter while neglecting the former. In other words, you've taken the law and you've applied it to some things that really don't matter as much as the heart of the law, which is justice, mercy, compassion, faithfulness. He says to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, what have you done with what's been entrusted to you? the knowledge of God, the presence of God, the blessing and the promises of God, what have you done with it? Talking to the temple and the promise, he says this in Mark's gospel, as he taught them, he says this, is not my house to be called a house of prayer for all nations? Jesus walks into the temple, it had become a place of commerce. There were dividing lines between where people could go based on their gender or their nationality and Jesus walks in there and people were being sold the elements for their sacrifice. Jesus goes, man, even the place that people are drawn to to experience God's presence has become a place of commerce and commercialism and Jesus' heart breaks and he tips over the tables in the temple. And so he pronounces judgment on the Pharisees and on the teachers of the law, on those that were entrusted with the kingdom, with the knowledge of God, with the presence of God and with the promises of God. Jesus says, this is all that you were given. This is what you were called to do. This is who you were called to be. This is why through my grace, I chose you to actually be the carriers and the bearers and the model of this message. And what have you done with it? Well, according to Jesus' story, his parable, well, you just buried it. So Jesus' parable then, when we move two chapters on into Matthew 25, becomes a really pointed message at those who failed in their vocation of being God's representatives, God's people, on this earth. And so that begs the question of us today. What vocation has God given us? What has God and what's Jesus entrusted us with? As Jesus walked the earth and he showed people what God was like, and then his life was taken as he was crucified on a Roman cross, but then we celebrate on the third day that he rose back to life as as. Jesus' post-resurrection starts to meet with his disciples and, and show them the resurrected Christ and teach them. In Matthew 28, he says to his disciples one day, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, in other words, through everything that's happened in my life and my ministry and my death and my resurrection, I now carry all authority in heaven and earth. So here's your mission. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am always with you to the very end of the age. See, we've been given a vocation as the church to take the message, the ministry of Jesus to help people experience the presence of the living Christ in their life. See, we've been given a message, the message of salvation by faith alone. We've been given 
a message of the grace of God that isn't based on anything that you can do or anything that you can earn, but the forgiveness of God that comes purely through the act of Jesus on the cross, giving his own life for the forgiveness of our sins. We carry, church, the message of hope. We carry the story of the resurrection. We have a message that God has entrusted to us, not to bury in the ground, but to share with those around us. But more than the message we carry together, we've also been given a gift. And let me individualize this a little bit for you because the Bible talks about how God by his Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts, not just to make your life better, but what? For the building up of the body of Christ. And this is some of you have been given the gift of administration. Some of you have been given the gift of helps. Some of you have been given the gift of leadership. Some of you have been given the gift of the prophetic. Some of you have been given the gift of, of giving. God by his spirit has actually equipped you and gifted you. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to bury that gift in the ground or are you going to use it for the very vocation that God gave it to you for to build up his body and to bless those around you? So we've been given a message, we've been given a gift, but I want to go to somewhere that maybe you haven't thought of today. I also reckon many of us have been given, or oh, we've experienced in our own life God's blessing. Blessing's one of these funny words in the church, isn't it? We throw it around a little bit too liberally sometimes and probably not liberally enough at other times. Because what do I mean by some of us have been given God's blessing? See, we read this and just think of the gifts that God gives us, but I want to talk about the blessings that you experience in your life. See, when Jesus addresses the religious leaders, he, he points to something much deeper than just the way they were administering the gifts that God had given them in that moment. He was saying to them, you've been blessed with the knowledge of God and the experience of his presence, and instead of sharing it, you've wasted it. See, relationship with them, with God, the knowledge of God, the experience of God's presence had just become such second nature that they'd started to take it for granted. And I want to ask us this morning, how many of us have just become so familiar with the things of God that we've actually become complacent in how we live it out in our lives? I, I regularly have a conversation as a parent with my kids, and some of you parents here would know this conversation. Sometimes it's because I'm cranky and I just have no other go-to, but other times it's because I want to remind them that they've got a pretty good life. Have you ever pulled out the line, I should take you to a part of the world where there's no food? That's on my bad days. But I berate my kids at times, trying to remind them constantly about how blessed they are. But the reality is the same for all of us, that sometimes we don't see the blessings because we've become so familiar with it that it just becomes the norm. And many of us have grown up in a world where we've never known what it's like to not have food on our table or shelter over our heads or resources to go and get the medical care that we need. And because it's become so second nature to us, often we lose sight of the blessing that it actually is and we become in danger of taking for granted that which God has given to us. I reckon it's the same challenge for many of us in our faith. Sometimes we've lost sight of the things that God has given us and entrusted to us because it's just become so familiar. Sometimes the resources that we have, we don't even see. So I would say every one of us in this room has 
being blessed by the geography of our birth. What does that mean? I don't know what you and I did to deserve to be born into a country with great wealth and great resource and great healthcare and great access to education and great access to clean water from every tap on our property. What did we do to be any more deserving of that than those who grew up in war-torn countries with poor sanitation, the threat of war, the threat of famine, the threat of disease? See, we've been blessed merely by the geography of where we were born in this part of history. So we either see that as a means to just enjoy life for ourselves or we see it as God's blessing that gives us the resources we need to care for those who are less fortunate. I'm, I'm so overwhelmed gateway by the generosity of this church to our Christmas offering this year, where we together put a little bit of money where our mouth was in giving a gift that's now over $400,000 to build, you know, more medical facilities in Yotcom and Kitgum, Uganda. That's part of us, recognising the blessing of the resources that we have. Some of you have been blessed with great resource. Do you see the resources that you have? Do you see your bank balance? Do you see the, the things that you have access to simply as a means to look after yourself or do you see them as a means to bless others? Some of you have been given the blessing right now of great health. Do you see that as a means just to celebrate that things are good for you or as an opportunity to serve others? Some of you have got the blessing of stable family. And I recognise in this room we've all got mixed stories in this one, but maybe you've grown up in a really stable family and community space you either just see that as good luck for yourself or maybe you could see it as the opportunity to offer community to those that don't have it. Some of us have been blessed with a really good life. Is that something you just gather for yourself or do you see it as God's blessing to allow you to be a blessing to others? See, I reckon one of the challenges sometimes is sometimes the good things in our life we start to see as burdens. Sometimes when things are going really well for you, the lament is it's really hard work caring for other people. Sometimes what's been handed to you as a blessing can start to feel like a burden. Sometimes it's a, a burden because you realise when you've been blessed with something, there's some work that follows that. I remember a couple of Christmases ago, I, I got delivered a, a great... Well, I had someone ring me and say, we've got this overflow of things that we'd like to bless people with and... So that's fantastic. What a position I get to be in that I get to take those phone calls and I get to be the recipient of a really generous gift that then I get with having done nothing to procure it myself, get to hand it out to others. Problem is when it all arrives, you look at it and go, oh, this is some work I didn't have on my list when the week started. This is going to be a pain. I'm going to have to ring some people. I'm going to have to drive some stuff. I'm going to fill my car up. See, sometimes blessings can feel like burdens because we've lost sight of just how blessed we actually are. If that's how you feel at times, Galatians 6, 9, Paul writes this, let us not become weary in doing good. You know what? Because it's easy sometimes to get weary while doing good. But let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Maybe the thing you need to hear this morning is you need to be reminded about how blessed your life actually is and see it as something that God has entrusted to you, not as something to build your own health and well-being, but as something to bless others with. See, we've got to ask the question of the parable, what has God entrusted to us? 
He's entrusted to us, his church, the message, the ministry of Jesus. He's entrusted to you spiritual gifts that are meant to be blessings to others and he's entrusted many of us with the opportunity to use that which we've been blessed with to care for and build others. What has been entrusted to you? The second question. So there were two questions, but the second question I reckon this parable challenges with is this. They really go hand in hand, but how are you living in the anticipation of the kingdom yet to come? Many of us in years gone by heard a, a message around Christian faith that suggested this. It's all about your salvation. Get yourself right with God and then do whatever you can to endure this world until God takes you to glory. That is not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is God wants to save you into a brand new purpose so that you can help bring Jesus' prayer into reality that the kingdom of God would come on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, if you've received the salvation, if you understood God's grace and salvation, there's some work for you to do. So how are you going to live in anticipation of the fact that with Jesus, he announced the coming of God's kingdom, but the Bible tells us that one day he's going to return and make all things right. And we live in this intervening time. It's called the the time of the kingdom come, but not yet. Because when Jesus came, he announced the kingdom of God. Then he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. I want you to go and share the message and do it with the anticipation that one day I'm going to return and make all things right. And we're living in the tension of the in-between right now. So how are we going to live in that time? Let me take you back to the context. I looked at Matthew 23 that spoke about woe to those that God had entrusted with the message and the knowledge of God and the presence of God and the promises of God and had buried it. But if we go into Matthew 24, Jesus starts to, again, it's a challenging text to get our mind around, but he starts to talk about the kingdom that is to come. He says this, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. In other words, live with one eye to the fact that at any moment, Jesus could come. And we don't know exactly how that's going to play out and how that's going to look, but one day Jesus will return. So live in anticipation of that. Live in preparation for that. He says, if the owner of a house had known what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. In other words, Jesus is telling us that one day he's going to return and we're living in the anticipation of that. Because if we start to live in the anticipation of that, it changes the decisions we make today about what our life is going to look like tomorrow and about the things that we gather to make our life better because we don't start living just for the 70 or 80 or 35 years. Who knows? God only knows the number of your days. But are you going to live in anticipation that your life on this earth is simply just missed in comparison to the eternity that God has in store for you? But right now, he's entrusted you with the message, the presence, and the power of Jesus to go and transform this world and bring the kingdom of heaven to bear on earth as right now it's being experienced in glory. Jesus goes on and says this, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. In other words, Jesus is telling another story here, but in other words, he says this, I'm putting you in charge of the house and one day I'm going to return. Be a wise and a faithful servant because it's going to be good for the servant whose master finds them living in anticipation when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put 
that servant in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant's wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour where he is not aware and he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There it is again. And all Jesus is saying is, Maybe I'm coming back and I've given you something to do. What are you going to do with it? What are we going to do with the message that Jesus has entrusted to us? See, we live in this age in between. But in the in-between, there's work to do. So let me make this really practical because I want to give us two things that I reckon stop us from stepping in to being people that take that which is entrusted and doing something with it. And for that, I want to go back to the story of the bags of gold for a minute. Three servants, one master, first servant, five bags. Master comes back and he hands him 10. Says, look, I put to work that which you gave me. The second, you're given two, comes back and he's doubled the investment. He says, I put to work that which you gave me. The third buries his treasure in the ground. Then the man who had received one bag of gold, back to the scriptures, master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you'd not sown and gathering where you'd not scattered seed. Listen to this. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked, and listen to this bit, lazy servant. The servant's excuse was fear and the master's rebuke was laziness. I wonder if fear and laziness are two things that get, us, get, get in the way for us living out the call and the vocation that Jesus has given to us. Because Jesus has entrusted us both individually and at his, as his church with a life-changing, eternity-transforming message of hope, grace, and redemption. Jesus has entrusted you with gifts that are fueled by the Holy Spirit to transform people's lives and to be a blessing to build up the church. And many of us live just in the reality and the knowledge of God's blessing in our own lives. I want to ask you this morning, what are you doing with it? I wonder if for some of us, it's fear that actually keeps us stagnant in our faith. Maybe it's because we've got a really mixed up and wrong view of God as a harsh kind of judge that's just waiting for us to take one misstep and is going to beat us. And so we don't want to kind of step out in case we just get it wrong. And put that in the context of all that we know about God. That is not what God is like. So I wonder for some of us if the reason we're not acting on and we're not working on that which God has entrusted us with is because of fear. But I wonder for others, it's just simply because we're lazy. I reckon this is a really prophetic word for our time because we live in a time where people are busier than they've ever been, but probably less productive than ever before. Wasting more hours doing things that have no eternal value of consequence. We've got to be really careful that we don't mix laziness and rest into the same conversation because God has actually designed you to need rest and to enjoy recreation and to have some downtime and to sleep and sometimes just to veg out on the couch 
and what's brain-dead television. It's not, that's, that's not the kind of laziness that I'm talking about. It's the laziness that means we're never motivated to actually take a step towards that which God has got for us. Missiologist Michael Frost says this in his book, The Prize of the World. He says, fear and laziness are mission killers. Fear of persecution, fear of standing out or causing offence, Fear of having to answer someone's tricky questions. Fear will shut down missional engagement every time. Like not, likewise with laziness. <clears throat> I don't mean the kind of laziness that has you lying on the couch eating Doritos and watching sports on television. I mean the inner voice that prompts you not to bother with reaching out to another person. Not to bother with offering yourself in the service of others. Laziness tells you that you don't have the time. Laziness whispers to you that you need to take care of yourself first. I wonder if for many of us here today, the reason that we're not living the life that God calls us to and we're not doing something with that which is entrusted to us is driven by either fear or laziness. I'd like to invite the band to come and join me as we close out this morning. I want us to hear this individually today, but I also want us to hear it corporately in terms of who we are together. Because, you know, in, in the early days of a church like ours, there's only 40 people sitting here. Everybody was needed to do, like, multiple things, even if they weren't gifted at it. But we were just, we, we had to have a heart for mission because without it, we just knew we were two weeks away from the doors closing. But you know, as your church gets bigger, it's easy just to get a little bit more complacent, start to becoming more interested in the things that we're doing to make our life a little bit more comfortable and to make our experience of the church a little bit more comfortable and what ministries are we going to run so that we enjoy more of ourselves and what things can we do to make things better for us, but that was never the mission of the church. Jesus in his generosity actually wants his community to be vital and dynamic and engaging and fun, I reckon. But not just to serve the purpose of making our lives more palatable, but to serve the purpose of fueling and equipping us for mission. To take the message of Jesus, to take the ministry of Jesus, to take the promises and the blessing of Jesus, and to take the knowledge of all that God is and share it with a lost and broken world that desperately need to hear it. And it's been entrusted to us. What are, what are we doing with it? What are we going to do with the church together? It's been entrusted to you. What are you going to do with the, the things that God has gifted you with? You're always going to be too busy. You're always going to have too many demands. Maybe for you, the challenge is to actually prioritize some kingdom things before you prioritize some selfish things in your life. But what is it you're going to bring? And what is it you're going to do with what God has entrusted to you, to us? And the Bible speaks about spiritual gifts and 
couple of years ago, we ran a whole series on discovering your gifts, and that resource is still available. You can jump on our website and go to the Discover These Spiritual Gifts page, and there's a little survey, and surveys aren't kind of the be-all and end-all, but it just asks you some questions just to get to know you and your passions and your likes, because God's pretty generous. He actually aligns sometimes the things that He's formed us to care about to the things that He gives us to do. And it might just give you some hints as to the way that God's gifted you. No online survey will ever be perfect. I always say, don't just do the survey, go and ask some people. Because if the survey says you're a leader, go and ask some people whether they see that in you. But then find some places to actually use that gift to bless others. Because the gifts weren't given for you just to make your life better. They were given to you to actually build the body of Christ and to actually see the message of Jesus take root wider than just these four walls. So I encourage you, maybe for you, it's a really practical response today to go and start exploring what your gifts are. Talk to some trusted mentors. Jump online. Listen, we did a whole bunch of podcasts with people that operate in some of the different gifts that the Bible notes, just talking about how that's looked in their life. But how's God equipped you? How's God blessed you? What things do you care about? And how can you use them to take this valuable message of the kingdom of God and share it with a lost, hurting, and broken world? Can we all stand this morning? I want to pray for us individually and corporately. I invite right now our prayer team, those that are here today, just to come to the front and join me. Because today, maybe you just have a prayer need or there's something in this message that's just really challenged something in your heart. And maybe it's today you just need to confess, repent of your own laziness. Maybe you need prayer just that God would help break through some of the fear that's held you back. Maybe you just need to take the step forward and say to them, listen, I I need to start doing something with what God's equipped me to do. And it's a bit of a step of accountability. But our prayer team will be available at the end of the service just to minister to you. But I want to pray for us corporately this morning because this is not just about us as individuals. This is about us as a church. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of these three servants and God, our desire is that one day when you look at us individually, but you look at us as your church here in Ormo, that the words that we might hear spoken over us are well done, good and faithful servant. God, I wanna pray that we would be reminded again of just the blessings that we have in our life that have come from you, that we would be reminded again of the things that you've gifted us to do. We'd be reminded of just the transformational message of the gospel of Jesus. That you, Jesus, stepped out of the glory of heaven into our brokenness. You gave your life as a payment and a ransom for our sins. As an act of love for your creation. And that through that we can know forgiveness. But then on the third day that you rose back to life and through your resurrection we're reminded that we don't serve a memory or a thought or an object of history that we serve and worship the living Christ who one day will return to make all things right Jesus help us your church in this intervening time be the light of the world sitting on top of the hill not with like a bucket over the light but a light that everyone sees that brings hope healing and transformation into this broken community We pray by the power of your spirit, you'd equip us individually and corporately to be your people. We pray in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. Come on, church, we're going to sing one final song this morning.
As with every week, the prayer team is available. You might have nothing to do with my message. You might just have walked in here today and it's got a health need that you need to bring to someone. We'd love to pray for you. You want to take opportunity of that, you can move to the forward as we sing or at the end of the service. Let's sing together.